Welcome to another message of hope from Gateway Church Australia. For more information or to contact us, please visit gateway.asn.au. A few years ago, I was in a major department store. I wanted to go and buy a shirt. I know that really surprises you. And I found one, not sure about it, went into the change rooms. You know in the changing rooms they have that rack where they put all the shirts and things that people don't want to buy? And as I walked in, on that rack was the exact shirt that I wanted. And it was in my size. So I went up and I was pushing the other ones away to try and grab it, get it untangled and take it off. And an elderly lady and her husband came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder. And she said, excuse me, can you get my husband this shirt in a bigger size, please? (laughs) Now, my instant reaction was, "Um, I don't work here. But then in an instant, I went, you know what, whatever. So I said, certainly. (laughs) So I took the shirt out into the shop to try and find it. It took me quite a while to find it, but, but I found it. And as I was taking that shirt off the rack, a gentleman came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, buddy, where's the change rooms? Now, I was heading back there anyway. So I said, please, sir, follow me. <laughs> so we went back with the shirt to the change room. When I got back to the change room, the elderly lady said to me, where have you been? We've been waiting ages. So I apologised for the delay. I gave her the larger size shirt. I opened the next cubicle and I ushered the man into the cubicle and closed the door. And as I did that, I heard a voice from behind me who I presume was the floor supervisor saying, hey, what do you mean by leaving the change rooms unattended? I turned around and she went, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you worked here. And I said to her, yes, so do all your customers. (laughs) Now, everybody at that point turned to me and went, what the? And so I sort of backed away, left the change room, and, you know, for those who are wondering, I didn't buy that shirt. <laughs> I know, tragedy. Now, I've been thinking about that incident, particularly in the light of this week's message. And I thought, you know, whilst I know that being uh, a follower of Jesus means that you are a servant, in that moment, I didn't like it when I was treated like one. And that kind of disturbed me, what was going on in my heart about that. I love the idea of this series, Becoming. I really think it's it's on point for us at Gateway. You know, we are all unfinished sculptures. We're all still making our way home. But if we allow the master to sculpt us, we become a disciple of Christ, which is a lover of God and a servant of all. Jesus spoke to his disciples a few times about what he saw was the end game for his ministry. I don't think the disciples had much of a clue. And so he told them about his need to go to Jerusalem and he would be uh, killed uh, for the faith and then he would be ascended to heaven. Now, in that storytelling, a couple of disciples got a good idea. James and John, brothers, got the idea that, hey, Jesus is going to glory, so why don't we ask for the seats on either side of him in glory? I don't think they'd put two and two together to realise you've got to be dead to go to glory, but anyway, let's not go there. 
Um, and what do good Jewish boys do who are afraid to ask for a favour for themselves? They get their mum to ask for them, and that's what happened. And you know, they got their mum to go up to Jesus and ask for this. And you, you can read, you know, about the story in the scriptures. But I can tell you this: that it really, for these boys, it really wasn't about the seats. It really wasn't about the seats. It was about them wanting to get ahead, about them wanting to be promoted, about them wanting Jesus or everybody else to think that they were great. They were trying to steal a march on the other 10 disciples. Now, before we get all righteous on these two guys, which is easy to do when we're reading back into the scripture, go, oh, that's so terrible, you know, before we do that with these guys. Isn't that similar to what we do ourselves today? I can see myself in that picture, can you? It's certainly often what we teach our children. And we say to our children, well, you know, you've, you've got to get a good education. You've got to strive to get high marks so that you can get, you know, a job in a top firm so that you can get, you know, great salary so that you can buy the things that, you know, it's expected of you that you will have in your life and, and then you can add to it, you know, an extra car and an extra boat and an extra holiday house and an extra, extra, extra. Isn't that kind of like the way society goes? And isn't the new golden rule, do unto others before they do unto you? Or am I living in a different world to everybody? And the thing about that kind of attitude that cultural attitude, that's, that's the soup that we live in. We don't even notice it. We really, we don't even notice it. But I've got to say, it's not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. And that's why following Jesus is the most radical, counter-to-culture thing anyone can do. See, being a Christian is not a safe, cosy, comfy, religious, hallelujah, what's it to you moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, think where he went. He went to the cross and he calls us to carry ours daily. And so it's kind of a dangerous thing to be a follower of Jesus if you're really, really following after him. Now, FYI for the parents... Uh, here this morning, and for those with impressionable young ears, I am not saying that getting an education and you know getting a job and earning a living is bad. We all need to do that and look after ourselves and our families and contribute. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. And I'm really proud of many of our young people who in this church are leading the way in service and in following after the things of God. Most of the service in this church is done by people under the age of 30. So bravo, well done. So I'm not picking on you there. But we need to follow after the things of God in the way we live our life if we are wanting to follow Jesus. So back to him. Imagine his frustration. He spent three years working with and, you know, um, travelling with and teaching this group of guys and at the first opportunity that they have to sort of demonstrate that they've got it, what do they do? They put their hand up for fame and fortune. So I, I can imagine his frustration. And so he gently tells them again, 
The greatest among you must be a servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to serve his heavenly Father's purposes by offering himself as a servant to all. He offered himself as a servant to all. So if the goal of the Christian faith is to become like Jesus, how do we do that? How, how do we live that kind of life? Last week, Marcy talked to us about the, if you want to know the heart of God, we've got to read his word. And you'd think, well, that's really basic, Rick. You don't need to tell us to read the Bible. But I don't know. A recent survey, recent in Australia, said that as few as 8% of Australian Christians read the Bible. 8%. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're not surveying gateway people because we would totally be in the top 10. But I think there's a reason, there's reason for us to remember that the Word of God is where we get you know, his heart and where we get the modelling and the, the encouragement that we need so that we can become a follower of Jesus and, and, and chase after what he wants us to chase after. But it's got to be according to God's design and his glory, not our own. The Apostle Paul was familiar with this process of becoming. He wrote, it'll be on uh, the screen, I have not yet achieved it. Wow, this up front, he has not yet achieved it. All right, so he was pretty transparent. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I did a message many, many years ago which I called the secret ingredient of following Jesus. And the secret ingredient was Bippo. And that secret ingredient is found in this chapter. But I press on. But I press on, leaving behind the former things. You know, God's not so much interested in where you've come from, but where you're going. And if we're going to follow after Jesus, we've got to let go former things and follow into the new way of Jesus. So who are you following? And I don't mean on Facebook or on Twitter or WhatsApp or whatever other app that is in at the moment to sort of hook up with. Who do you model your life after in a character sense? Who, who are you following? And I suggest that we, those of us here who, you know, would say that we are Christ followers, we don't look enough like him. And I include myself at the top of that list. I don't look enough like him. And even the Apostle Paul Arguably the greatest Christian who has ever lived. And FYI, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Christian is a Christ follower. He didn't follow himself. But anyway, we won't go into that. The, the Apostle Paul was perhaps the greatest Christian who's ever lived, wrote you know, majority of the New Testament in the Bible. He admitted to falling short. He admitted to falling short. But he remained focused on the journey of becoming, leaving the former things and pressing on. At one time he said, I only do what I see Jesus doing. This is the Apostle Paul. 
And then Jesus, if you remember, said, well, I only do what I see my heavenly father doing. So isn't there a little model there for us? And the apostle Paul said to those that in his churches, look, follow me as I follow Christ. If you see me doing something that is not Christ-like, don't do it. And I would say the same to you guys about me as your pastor. Follow me as I follow Christ. If you see me doing something that Jesus wouldn't do, don't do it. Go and do what Jesus did because I am human and I am, I am not Jesus um, as much as I try to follow after him. So what is it that Jesus and Paul are trying to tell us about becoming? What is it that they're trying to tell us? And I think it's this, that there are patterns of becoming that followers of Christ need to know and to do to receive a heavenly reward. There's things that we need to know and do about the life of Jesus and the disciples and you know the Apostle Paul and such that we need to know and do in order to get a heavenly reward. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm not talking about salvation because there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Uh, that's all to do with what Jesus has done on our behalf. But your heavenly reward is different I think maybe your heavenly reward has something more to do with how we are becoming in this life. I'll leave that to you to think about. But let's look at the process of becoming like Jesus. And there's three things that I wanted to raise with you in the time remaining. Firstly, becoming like Jesus means growing a humble heart. As I look at the scriptures and as I read about the stories of Jesus, and I was doing that again this morning before I came, I love the Gospels and, and how Jesus told stories and you'd hear the, the penny drop sometimes and not other times. You know, I love it. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. He knew who he was. He knew who he was and why he was there and what he had to do. And I think there's a lesson in that for those of us today who follow after Jesus. Let him teach you because he is humble and gentle at heart. So he doesn't teach us to do a whole bunch of other things other than being humble. Ultimately, we need to be like Jesus, not just do what Jesus did. The Apostle Paul, again, at another time said, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So he's talking probably to, to Jews who are living somewhere in the Mediterranean. They would hark back to the temple, which is where they believed God dwelt. And he's saying to them, as followers of Jesus, you need to now know that Jesus dwells in you. I don't even know how that works, but the Holy Spirit, when we invite Jesus into our life and we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to submit to you. The Holy Spirit enters our spirit and dwells in us so we become the very temple of God. He says, you do not belong to yourself. Wow. We don't get taught that at school, do we? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must honour God with your body. So a couple of things. Firstly, if God paid a high price for you, it means that you are greatly valued and greatly loved. If you hear nothing else today, you need to leave with that thought ringing in your ears. God paid a high price for you, for your eternal destiny. 
that means that you are greatly valued and greatly loved. No one pays a lot of money for something that's worthless. At least, you know, not in the world that I live in. You don't spend tens of thousands of dollars on something, bring it home, unwrap it and chuck it straight in the bin. You invest in things that you think have value. And God invested in you even before you were born. Great price he paid for you. And you're thinking, well, what's the price that God paid for me? I mean, I feel like a commodity now, Rick. No, no, you're not a commodity. The price that God paid was the life of Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself to pay the price that we could not pay. Let me tell you, our sins are legion. Our sins are legion. And they will separate us from an eternally loving God if we don't deal with them. And hello, we can't deal with them ourselves. Only Jesus can deal with our sin. And if we let him, he will do that. He will come into our life and he will deal with our sin and he will give us that eternal life now and into the future and give us that freedom that we so desire. As human beings, we, we love freedom. We, have, we, we crave it. I mean, if, if COVID showed us anything, in terms of lockdowns, how we hated that. It was more of a spiritual thing for me, you know, than, not, than a physical thing, not being able to go to the movies or something. It was just this spiritual thing. And I know it was necessary. And see what's happening around the world where they don't do that. And I know that's an arguable point, and I'm not here to be arguable today. But I'm just saying Jesus has brought us freedom. But that freedom doesn't mean anything goes. It doesn't mean that anything goes it means anything god wants goes because our life is not our own that's the second point our life is not our life your life is not your life if you follow jesus then you have been paid there's been a great price paid for you in order to give you freedom and salvation and eternal life, to be able to conquer what happens in this life and have victory in the next. And that applies to our thinking and our actions, how we deal with our money, how we deal with our sexuality, how we deal with our relationships, must all come under the glory of Jesus if we are saying that we are following him. Therefore, humility, rightly defined, doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We should put that on our fridge. Because God doesn't want you to, you know, think that you're trash and you're horrible. Oh, look, you know, I'm making these mistakes and I've done this again and I'm a horrible person and who could have possibly loved me? God loves you. You are not trash. You were paid for with a high price. A high price. But we just need to think of ourselves less and think of Jesus and others more. So growing a humble heart means having that kind of attitude. And that's the second point. Um, a humble heart is formed by serving others. The greatest among you must be a servant, Jesus said. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. I wager that it's a lot better for us to get in front of that and, and to try and practice humility lest God humble us 
it can be a painful thing. Anybody identify with that process in life? I can, where I have not been humble and God has sought to humble me. Get to the same place, but it's a lot less painful if we cooperate with God on the front end. You see, our hearts are formed by serving, but humility is not guaranteed. You, you can serve, you can turn up, you know, you can be faithful, timely, put on the T-shirt, but if you don't do it with humility, you're just volunteering. Now, don't get angry because I know the value of volunteering. Serving and volunteering is not only good and important, it's necessary, particularly in the body of Christ. But if we don't do it with humility, Jesus said it's not worth anything. You know, and volunteering is not the goal of our faith. Let me put it to you this way. Volunteering is what you do. Humility is who you are. That help? Serving starts the process of becoming. When we serve others, it, you know, a bit of sandpaper rubs off the rough edges and sorts us out a little bit because, you know, going getting shirts for people in a department store when you were there to buy your own shirt can be a little bit humbling. But I learned something that day. Serving starts the process of becoming, but unless we do it with humility, it's like giving. You know, you can give without loving. Someone knock on your door, donation for something or other, or you're at, at the lights and they rattle the tin at your window and you can wind it, you can put a coin in and, and go away and never think about it again. But Jesus says you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Do not pretend that we are a lover in the sense of Christ being a lover without giving. It's got to be our reflex reaction. And for many of us, if we could conquer that point in our life, we would probably double our faithfulness and our effect for Jesus just at that one point. But culture teaches us something else. Yeah, I don't have time to go into that this morning, but I get very passionate about how our culture tries to shape what Christianity is, and it's got to be the other way around, folks. The third point is serving others is how Jesus showed us to love. Serving wasn't just an extra thing that we tack on to the end of our church life. Jesus said, let me show you how to love. And then he served his way to the cross. And he said, if you want to follow after me, take up your cross and come after me. Come and serve. Come and die for me. Die to yourself. You know, if you're thinking I'm here today just in a recruitment drive, you've totally missed the point of what we're saying today. I'm not trying to recruit you. I'm trying to grow you. And I'll mention some opportunities that we have for serving one another later, but just remember, this is not about recruitment. This is about us offering each other opportunities to serve one another as the body of Christ needs to. Now, there are three areas where I think we need to do that, and I'll close with this. Firstly, can I say we need to be servers in our family? Sometimes our family is the hardest place to serve. Can I get an amen to that? You know, sometimes it's easy just to come on Sunday and serve at church or during the week or, or you know, go on a missions trip or something. It's a lot easier to do that than face the people we live with day to day and 
model Jesus in sometimes a difficult family situation, but we must do it. We must do it to the best of our ability. And the Apostle Paul said, how can we, how can we hope to lead in the church and the world if we can't lead in our family? We've got to start there. That The family is the, the fulcrum of society. It's where things are formed. Faith is formed and trust is formed and love and service are formed that we might go into the world and be all Jesus can be. It's so important. Secondly, serve people in your neighbourhood, your workplace. My wife had a great idea during COVID that, you know, uh, we would hire a, a coffee van, come to our place, and she went around and leafleted the neighbourhood and said, come and get a free coffee. The number of people who turned up with a $5 note in their hand was remarkable. You know, it's like, what don't you get about free? Free is kind of free. <laughs> I, I, I'm not used to that. It was a great idea. It was a great way of serving people. Start a lot of great conversations. Now, maybe you can't do that, but if you're in a workplace, try turning up early. Maybe try staying a little bit late and not grumbling about it. Or try doing something that nobody else does. Now, you all know in the workplace, there are those things which nobody likes to do, like, you know, doing the sink dishes in the staff room or you know, doing the extra yard duty if you're a teacher or, you know, all those little things. I used to be a truck driver when I was putting myself through uni and, and we used to start at four in the morning and we'd finish around 12 or one. And on a Friday, there were always extra truck runs um, and everybody went, you know, like at one o'clock, it was like, where is everybody? It's like gone. And it was always, I knew it was always difficult for the company because they had to, to do extra runs. And so I was struggling as a young Christian. How do I sort of show them, you know, that I, I, I want to serve and I want to love and I don't want to preach, you know, I don't want to get out the little four spiritual laws book and drop it on their desk secretly. So I thought, I know, I will, I will volunteer for the truck run. So I started saying after I'd done my eight hours and washed my truck and booked in and stuff like that, I'd go up to the office and I'd say to the supervisor, who's doing the truck run today? And he goes, oh, I can't, well, sorry, I can't tell you what he said. I can't, I can't find anybody. I go, I'll do it. He goes, oh, okay. You know, so I started just doing the truck run. I wasn't paid for it, but I knew it had to be done. <clears throat> and it was probably several weeks, maybe a few months into this of, you know, I was the Friday extra truck run guy, that my supervisor said to me, you got any mates like you in your church that I could employ? Because, you know, this... This is really good. I, I never have to argue with you about this. And I thought, yes. Not because, hey, aren't I a great person? But it started him thinking about what is different about this guy that would make him do something that no one else would do. Now, they, they knew I was a Christian, you know, but I didn't have to shout it from the rooftops. I just served my way to a position of them knowing. Having said that, in Matthew, it says, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, we don't serve to attract attention to ourselves, but to shine a light on the goodness of God. You know, so you may not be the most eloquent speaker in the world, be the most eloquent server. And yes, sometimes we do need to use our words. It's not either or. But 
be an eloquent server, you will have much more impact for Christ because you'll start people thinking, what on earth did they eat for breakfast this morning? Because when they look at the culture, they don't see that happening. They see people spending money where they want to spend money. They see people going after jobs you know, to get up the corporate ladder for the status of it. They see people not caring two hoots about helping other people or going the extra mile. But when a Christ follower does that, it raises the question, why? And if you can raise the question, why, you're halfway there towards being able to communicate the gospel to people who don't even know what that is. And finally, you can serve in your church. Many of you do, although most of the service in this church is done by people under 30. Good on you young people, um, good on your old people if you're also serving as well. But most, most of the service in this church is done by young people. But serving in your church is so foundational to the faith. And again, it's not about recruitment, so you've already flicked over to that in your head. It's not about that. It's about spiritual growth. And the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity, there's lots of opportunities that we have to do that. And God created the church in part to help and encourage and serve one another because faith life is not easy. Or am I in, in the wrong world? Being a, being a follower of Jesus is not easy. We need encouragement every week. That's why I'm here every week. We need the love and support of others to go through this Christian journey with. We cannot do it alone successfully we cannot do the one another's in the bible without one another and the church is often the place that the the people who are there first in grief in death births marriages weddings we're really great at cross-generational stuff look around you won't see this kind of demographic in a rotary club now i love rotary it's not putting rotary down i'm just saying you'll see people my age and older at rotary Look around here, cross-generational service and ministry and, and fellowship together. A local church, when functioning well, is the hope of the world. And when we serve in our local church, we are spreaders of that hope. We're resourcing that hope. So why not check out the opportunities that are available here? Now, if you're already serving you might be in one or more ministries, uh, I take my hat off to you. Thank you for doing that and keep going. So I'm not really talking to you right now, but if you're not in a ministry, a regular ministry, can I encourage you, when you go out into the foyer today, you will see a little cart with cookies and people with a chef's hat that have a recipe which tells you how you can serve in that area and a balloon and you get a free biscuit and, you know, you've got nothing to lose by doing that. Can I encourage you just to, to engage with the little balloon people? Um, it's called a team taster for Team Gateway. We would just love to get your service and your resource and your help because there's, there's a lot of stuff that Gateway are doing week in and week out, day in, day out, that needs the people of God to do. Um, we need to go from belief to behaviour. You know, we need to love and serve as Jesus did. We need to grow together to become like Jesus. And when it comes to faith, Jesus is all about our becoming.